Welcome to episode nine of Lil Muck, a tiny slice of the Muck podcast where we talk to people in the media and politics about their favorite stories or experiences. I'm Tina Jaramillo. And I'm Hillary Doherty. Hillary, tell us about today's guest. Well, first of all, we have our first international guest, yes. which is super exciting for So us. exciting. Because, you know, in America, we've got our, our own mucky politicians. So we're excited to talk to Kara Fox, is a freelance journalist and digital media creative based in Montreal, Quebec. Kara studied journalism at Concordia University, where she screened her first documentary, IRL, which means in real life, right? Yes. A film that explored the transposition of physical and digital space in the emer emerging world of digital communities. In 2019, Kara began freelance writing and had the incredible privilege of traveling to Canada's north to report on Arctic tourism and Inuit. I hope I'm saying that right. Inuit communities mm -hmm. where she was happy to partner with brands Adventure Canada, Arc. Turex and Canada Goose. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you so much for confirming I'm saying these things right. Uh, today, Kara produces independent content for brands and publications such as articles, blogs, videos, and social media content. You can hear her online at www.carafox.ca or on Instagram at The Wandering Blonde. So, Kara, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm like super excited. I can't believe I'm the first one from outside the borders. Oh, yes. yes. Hello is... from Canada. Yay. <laughs> so, Kara, your bio talks about your work with the Inuit community. What was that like for you? Um, it was challenging. <laughs> I am white, personally, and um, my work with them definitely led me to examining um, my position as a white journalist, uh, covering any type of indigenous issues, mm. um, and confronting, you know, racism in the society that I grew up in and also within myself. So it was very rewarding and I'm still writing about it and I'm still pitching stories about it. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a once in a lifetime adventure, I would say. Oh, I love that so much. So yes. let's talk about, the story you're going to tell us about today, because we've, you know, you sent us, oh, this is a story we can talk about. And Tina and I started reading about it. And it's an incredible story that, you know, now we are in the United States, but we're all the way down in South Florida, like 90 yes. miles from Cuba. Like we're not, we're far from Canada. Yes. But although we do get a lot of Canadian snowbirds come yes, down. Yes, we do. Yeah, stay we with do us. get a lot of Canadians. Um, I didn't know anything about Jody Wilson Raybould and what happened with her. I hope I'm saying her last name right. Can you tell us a little bit about her before we get into the scandal that happened? Absolutely. So Jody Wilson Raybould is a lawyer by profession and she worked as a crown prosecutor in Vancouver, um, actually in Vancouver's downtown east side, which is considered a, a rough area. There's a lot of I don't know, I'm not from Vancouver, but I've heard that it's like there's a lot of stuff going on there. Um, and so she worked there for several years, and then she got involved with advocating for Indigenous uh, autonomy. And um, she has a background, basically, in Indigenous treaty rights, like uh, liaising with the government and Indigenous groups with treaty rights and uh, advocating for self-government of uh, various different indigenous nations that we have in Canada because Canada is, is like we call ourselves Canada, but this land is actually um, the land of many, many nations mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> that sort of 
have been here for much, much longer than the Confederation of Canada. So um, this sort of, our, our complicated history continues all the way up until today when it comes to um, honoring treaties that were written at one point um, that have not been honored and um, working out what, what, what Justin Trudeau has tra- uh, campaigned and had tried to say was working out reconciliation mm. um, between groups. But right now we have a lot of people that are saying reconciliation is dead. Mm. And I think some of this plays, like this scandal plays into that to some degree as sort of a symbol um, because, yeah, Jody Wilson-Raybould had this, has this long um, sort of resume and, and she's done a lot of work. She herself is, is part of the, uh, like a, an Indigenous group as well. So, yeah, that's her background. Wow. So what happened? What was sort of the tipping point with this scandal? The tipping point came in January 2019 when Justin Trudeau did a cabinet shuffle. Someone resigned and he had to do a cabinet shuffle. At the time, Jody Wilson-Raybould was the Minister of Justice and Attorney General, which is a combined role. And the Attorney General acts as legal counsel to the Prime Minister as well. And it's an independent role. It's actually, she acts on behalf of the Crown, which is like a a long time, you know, it's the old thing of being a British colony. Um, but it's all that's necessary to know is that it's supposed to be an independent role. Okay. And um, she was shuffled out of that role into a different role, which sort of was what started raising eyebrows about why was she moved from her role into a role that was considered essentially a demotion. Mm. Yeah. And then a short time later, uh, she resigned <laughs> with wow. sort of no, yeah, with like no um, warning. And there were a lot of people that were, there were some rumors being spread about different things. And the ethics commissioner at the time announced that he was going to be starting an investigation. And there wasn't a lot of details at the time. This is where all of the drama started because, well, people no one are probably really wondering, knew what was going on. yeah, like, why would she quit without, and she didn't really give any reason. Exactly. In fact, she said that she couldn't give any reason because, you know, her, she was, uh, at the time, she was limited by attorney-client privilege, mm. which said a lot in of itself at the time. So what ended up happening was um, the Liberals had a justice committee that began a probe, and um, she went and testified to the justice committee and there were several other people that justified or that testified. And, um, what she had said during her testimony was that she received uh, consistent and sustained pressure from the prime minister's office to sort of try to sway the decision that had been made by, um, an independent, prosecutorial body regarding um, a company called SNC Lavalin, which is one of Canada's largest construction companies that oh. has been embroiled in corruption for like 20 years. <laughs> so they had been in this dramatic uh, corruption case for many, many years. And it was finally, it had been, it was being investigated. And she was claiming and alleging at that time that the prime minister's office was attempting to get her to exercise some kind of influence 
over the results of that. So <laughs> this is this is incredible because the thing of the matter, like I I mentioned to you before we start recording that you know I you know in America Justin Trudeau for the most part is looked at as this like young you know of course good looking doesn't hurt progressive yeah progressive guy and we've got somebody in the in our white house who isn't so much and we were always so jealous that this justin trudeau is in canada and like why can't we have a justin trudeau yeah. right <laughs> and then it turns out he's he does this thing here and i don't know has there been any sort of um anything towards him you know if she she resigns she leaves nothing's come out that he did this thing that was wrong Oh, well, no, the story continues. Oh, gosh, I'm so sorry. Please <laughs> yeah, continue. Continues. Yeah. No, she, um, she did, res- she, she actually, I'm not, she did not resign. She was kicked out mm. of the Liberal Party. Yeah, her and another of her supporters, whose name is Jane Philpott, who was the Treasury something, in, in charge of the Treasury. Um, but basically after the, the justice probe and all of these testimonies, like this is part of why I think this, this story is really interesting is because when you look at the way that Jody Wilson-Raybould um, handled this situation, um, I think it really speaks to her character. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, what happened after the justice probe was that there was sort of a full frontal attack on her character. Mm. Um, and there were anonymous sources from within uh, the liberal party who began to go to the media saying that she had become a thorn in the side of the cabinet wow. and that she was someone who was difficult to get along with. Cause she wouldn't, that she was known to... well, this, you know, at this point, none of that, like this was all sort of hush hush because the whole case was still, you know, working itself out, but okay. all of these character assassinations were hitting the media um, and uh, saying that, you know, she had always just been in it for herself and she is not thinking about the government or the cabinet and, you know, she's self-centered and all of this stuff. So you can think about the climate at that time. Um, like it was very much a sort of like, she's one person. She was still within the liberals at that point like within the liberal cabinet, but she was trying to, it seems like she was trying to advocate to, to stay there and to have things change or whatever, but they, there did seem to be a lot of resistance to that. Um, and then she did something that I thought it was pretty, it was gutsy. Mm-hmm. It was very gutsy. Some people have, have really said that this was inappropriate of her to do, but I will let you judge for yourself. She released a recording to the media of a phone call that she had with the privy clerk uh, who is the highest uh, civil servant in Canada. Oh, wow. And so this person works like directly with the prime minister and his name was Michael Wernick and he had called her um and they had a conversation, and he did not know that the conversation was being recorded. Mm. And she released that conversation to the media. And in that conversation, um, there is evidence that he was trying to persuade her on behalf of the prime minister. Um, and that is why she was kicked out of the Liberal Party. Wow. Mm. So in, in the U.S., it varies by state. 
Um, there, in some states, you have to have, you know, a two-party consent to being recorded. Other states, it's a one-party. How did that work? It was what she did illegal in, in the laws of Canada to record uh, that conversation without his knowledge? I think the issue for the liberals was more that if you're, if you're in this party, then why are you recording other members, like, without telling them? Like, this was considered right. a betrayal, not yeah, even a but- legal issue per se. But meanwhile, she they're pressuring her, which how is that not a betrayal? Well, at that time they said that there was no there was no pressure. <laughs> Their story was that they had never pressured her, that um that there had you know, nothing whatsoever um had ever occurred like that. So that's why I mean I think it was an interesting move by her because she really did wait until everyone had denied everything. Mm. Oh, I love that. And then come out. Yeah, exactly. So you sent us this recording and we listened to it before you came on. I think we're going to try to include it here in the podcast. If not, we can make it a separate post and put it out separately so people can listen to it. Again, I'm I'm confident in where I've, I'm at and my views on SNC and the the DPA haven't changed. This is um, a constitutional principle of prosecutorial independence that Michael, I have to say, including this conversation, previous conversations that I've had with the Prime Minister and many other people around it, it's entirely inappropriate and it is political interference and. I, the Prime Minister, obviously can talk to whomever he wants, but what I am trying to do is to protect him. I can have a conversation with Beverly McLaughlin. I can call her right now. Um, I'm just um, issuing the strongest warning I can possibly issue that decisions that are made by the independent prosecutor are their decisions. We gave we gave her and them the tools the additional tools, I made it very clear at the cabinet table and in other places that these tools are the discretion of the prosecutor and everybody agreed to that and there was no guarantee that there would be a DPA in this or any other case. So we were treading on dangerous ground here. So I'm going to issue my stern warning um, because I can't act in a manner and the prosecution can't act in a manner that is um, not objective, that isn't independent. I can't act in a partisan way and it can't be politically motivated. All of this screams of that. So I'm actually uncomfortable having this conversation, but I'm happy to talk to you. I, I can, I'll call Beverly McLaughlin. I can't even imagine her feeling in any way, shape or form comfortable with interfering with the independent prosecutor. Okay, I, I understand that. But I, I mean, I think... His view is, is not asking 
do anything appropriate or to interfere. He's asking you to use all of the tools that you lawfully have at your disposal. Um, I, 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 I know I have a tool under, under the Prosecution Act that I can use. I do not believe it is appropriate to use it in this case. Okay. All right. I mean, then that's, that's clear. Um, I'm worried about a collision then because he's, he's pretty firm about this. I mean, I, I just saw him a few hours ago and, and this, is, this is really important to him. And Okay. Um, I don't know. I just, I, there's not much more we can cover now then. It is very interesting, but here's the thing about smart women, yes. right? They know she, I mean, I think she probably, first of all, the fact that she even said in this recording, like, this is wildly inappropriate, you know, I'm, I'm, this is not a quote, but this is basically yeah. what she was saying. Like, and you're making me uncomfortable, you're making me uncomfortable. She yeah. was very much about law and like doing the right thing. And like, this is undue influence, political influence in this, in this case. Um, and she stuck by her, stood by her guns. It's, it's, it is gutsy. It's courageous what she did. Yes. But I think she probably also was knew well enough that if she didn't go along with this, she'd be the scapegoat. Like they would be some sort of retribution. Mm -hmm. And that's why she did the mm -hmm. recording. I think it was, I agree with you. I think it was pretty awesome that she yes, did that. good for her. Yeah. And... I think it's a really interesting series of events for sure, yeah. And the being loyal to a party, is she supposed to lose all of her credibility, yes. all of her, her I mean, career, come on. her career so that the party looks good? Like, that's not her job, you know? It's interesting because when this started, the ethics commissioner did announce that he was starting an investigation. And that had been going on the whole time. The investigation finished in August 2019, and the findings, his findings were that the Prime Minister had contravened mm. a conflict of interest act. Um, and so to go back to what you asked about whether or not anything has been done, no. Wow. <laughs> Nothing ever came out of that. In fact, uh, sort of the follow-up with that story is that uh, after being, like after, after I don't. I mean, I don't want to say kicked out. It sounds so bad, but you know, she was like asked to leave. I guess mm -hmm. <laughs> the party. Um, she was kicked out. They didn't want her in the party anymore. Um, but she ran as an independent in um, the like the area that she had run in before as a liberal candidate, and so she was elected as an independent. Mm -hmm. And so she still is a member of Parliament. Good. Um, Good. Yeah, but that's all that ever happened and um i don't think there's any follow-up to that what is trudeau's connection to this snc is it just the political contributions to the liberal party it just feels like this is there some other piece there with him and this organization yeah i think what yeah like there the liberal parties uh, view on this was that SNC Lavalin employs about 9,000 Canadians, um, and that basically offering them um, something called a DPA, which uh, is basically a plea bargain, that's a whole other complicated part of the story because the option to go to enter into a DPA with a company was not even an option until um, the year that this scandal started. <laughs> Oh wow! So That's earlier in that year, 
Yeah, exactly. And that was part of uh, Wilson Rabel's point was that even if, you know, there are legal um, measures that can be taken within the law to negotiate this, it just looks really bad. And she, her point was, I'm protecting the prime minister from even the appearance of any, um, of any interference. And so, but yes, the DPA was uh, how they were going to save these jobs, in their opinion, that if they, if they go into this plea bargain, they will be able, the, the company itself won't go under and will be able to keep the jobs in Canada. Well, the ironic thing is that um, after this entire scandal, um, con- the continuation through the legal system um, meant that uh, SNC-Lavalin pled guilty to one charge of fraud, and I believe they paid a fine of like $238 million, wow. and they had three years of probation, but there has not been a single job that was lost. Oh my gosh. Well, it's the spin, the spin of it all. Oh, we yes. have to protect this company. We have to, well, the, you know, I'm, right. all the political donations, all of those things come into play uh, when you're taking money from corporations or uh, billionaires who want to protect their interests. I mean, it's just so, and she's right. Absolutely right. Like it just doesn't look right that we would be doing something like this and no. good for her for like seeing through that, that crap that they were trying to sell. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, it's an interesting story for sure. Yes. I think I, I never thought that it got the coverage that it deserved. Mm. Um, <laughs> I think that the the best part of the story for me is the fact that Justin Trudeau campaigned on platforms of feminism and progressive mm. politics. Yeah, that that's right. you know that's what especially like again in the states like that's what we kind of hear we hear that side of the story and. Has this incident in any way affected the way Canadians view Trudeau? Have they, you know, has has the the veneer sort of, uh, is it not as like shiny anymore? I think it wasn't necessarily with the scandal, but I think that's happened over time. Mm. Um, I think Canadians elected Trudeau with optimism. Mm. Um, His father was one of the most beloved prime ministers of Canada. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, there was a legacy aspect there, obviously. Um, And I think that a lot of people were really hoping he's young. um, He has, you know, made a lot of these progressive promises about, you know, he um, made half of his cabinet women Mm. um, to sort of represent equality. And um, he, he... I, I just think it's an excellent example of the difference between theory and practice in some ways, because despite sort of having these ideals of like, you know, equality and reconciliation stuff within this scandal, just this scandal, you see the way that you have a woman who is indigenous mm. and is acting independently and she's being pressured by the government of Canada. Mm, I mean, right. that's what happened. And then in punished. The and then punished. Exactly. And punished and, and, um, and attacked. And, uh, that's the kind of thing that like does not lead to reconciliation. And it's the real thing. It's when the real situations come up and she could have just gone along with it. But I do think you're right. I think that she wasn't willing to sacrifice the many, many years that she spent building reputation in politics 
um, and saying that she wanted to bring uh, transparency and integrity to the government. And she faces a lot of criticism um, for that uh, from, like, there, there's there's a lot of tension between the government of Canada and, and uh, Indigenous governments and autonomous Indigenous nations. And well, and then it feels like lip service. It feels like lip service uh, from Trudeau especially when you're saying like now people say reconciliation may not be possible and he's going to, you know, say one thing uh, on a, on his platform, but then uh, exactly. with an opportunity with uh, Raybould here, he completely uh, demonstrates that he's not ready to be progressive or to move forward or to be honest or to be transparent. Also, it has something to do with, it's what we like on our podcast and the episodes, the, the regular muck episodes, um, you know, we find this all the time. I, you know, we record an episode today where it was a powerful person who everybody's beloved. Oh, he might be the next president of the United States. And it turns out, you know, he's got this huge secret, these huge things that could take down the entire party. But it's like when you have a machine that is a party, uh, whatever, wherever you are, they will do whatever it takes. And, and they're easily people who follow those parties are easily swayed and do follow the bullshit. And like that woman who did this thing, like, what a history even her family had. Her father was a chief who who mm-hmm. I saw this 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 um this line that he had met with a uh, Prime Minister Pierre Elliott Trudeau, the father of Justin Trudeau, when he was prime minister, was like, oh, I have two daughters. They're law- they want to be lawyers. They want to be one of them wants mm-hmm. to be the next prime minister. And like here it is where his daughter goes Jody, you know, because rises up the ranks as as Justin does. And now they're in this mm-hmm. moment where Justin being, you know, a white white, you know, uh privileged. male privileged yeah. and Jody who worked her well, her way up being an indigenous woman and like comes to the ranks the same way. She was the he, first. She was the first indigenous woman attorney or the first Indigenous Attorney General. Wow. Isn't that amazing? And then wow. he uses his his influence and his power to try to to make her do something that would been would have gone against everything she had worked for and even probably believed in. As lawyers, they take these oaths. You know, they're supposed yeah. to follow these things. And he was using that to try to. Sw- I mean, you know, it's 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 really gross yeah. and. And uh, it's it is sad it did not get the coverage it should like I honestly yeah. here didn't get the coverage yeah, I'm, we I'm sure there was more at all in Canada but here I heard nothing I mean I knew he had problems with the indigenous um, nations there I knew he had problems there and we've heard about like the the blackface incident like we've we, we heard things like that mm. um, but not not this story at all no. and this is a huge story yeah. There's all kinds of things happening up here, guys. (laughs) You're right. You know what it is. You know what it is, Kara, is that we are drowning in horrible things here as far as political (laughs) stories. And so we can't get past ourselves. Like typical Americans, we only see ourselves as our problems. We don't focus on anybody else. I'm so sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Well, sometimes it's therapeutic to, uh, to hear about something else going on. Yes. So that's true. Uh, well, thank but, you so, so much for sharing this story with us. Yeah, no problem. I'm glad, it, I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. And everyone, please, like, please, please, please go check out uh, carafox.ca and her Instagram, the wandering uh, at the wandering blonde. Uh, blonde. Yeah, with an E. <laughs> yes. Blonde with an E. Yes. <laughs> thank you, Kara. It's so nice to meet you. So nice to meet you, too, guys. Thank you All for right, having thank me. You. Of thank course. you. Have a great day. 
week. Bye. If you want to learn more about this week's guest, please follow the episode notes on our blog at themuckpodcast.fireside.fm and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Muck Podcast. To support The Muck Podcast, please visit our Patreon page. We have three levels of support and different goodies for each level, Muckraker, Policy Wonk, or Bleeding Heart. We can't do it without you. Music for The Muck Podcast, written and performed by Sean Doherty.